Gridlions is a proud sponsor of Public Power Underground, a subsidiary of Nextair Energy and the leading transmission company in North America. Gridlions is a transmission-only utility company that's more than just wires. With operations in three regional transmission organizations, Gridlions works with electric cooperatives and municipal utilities to create collaborative solutions that integrate renewable energy and improve the reliability and resiliency of the electric grid. Learn more at gridlions.com. That's G-R-I-D-L-I-A-N-C-E dot com. We started in hard times to bring us all in Into the laughter through thick and through thin For public power enthusiasts without and within Roll on enthusiasts, roll on Welcome to Public Power Underground, recorded in person at the Energy Authority's 2023 Energy Symposium. We're in the spa at the One Ocean Resort and Spa in Atlanta Beach, Florida. Atlantic? Did I say that right? Atlantic. Atlantic. That's right. Atlantic Beach, Florida. There we go. We're recording a special episode on the transition from bilaterally to centrally dispatched organized markets. I'm Paul Dockery, the creative director and host of Public Power Underground and the senior manager for energy resource strategy and planning for Seattle City Light. Joining me are four market experts. And by four, I mean three because Kevin Gelke couldn't be here because he's a good father. So he couldn't make it. That's but, a good father, Kev. too. Yes. As is Tyler. I mean, I try to be a good yeah. father, but. but Aspiring but good here. father. Yeah. And he's, I mean, He's above and beyond, obviously. That's why That's he's right. not here. That was that was really the point of that yeah. intro. Okay. <laughs> I like I'm a good mom too. You're a good mom too. <laughs> right. We're all we're all good parents in our own way. Let's say yeah. that. Do we agree on that? We're all good parents in our own way. Got to do what you got to do. Good. Glad we got that out of the way. Uh, joining me are three market experts to talk about how contracts and markets change in the transition from bilateral to day ahead markets. The experts are first Laura Trelise. Laura is the Director of Western Markets and Strategy for the Energy Authority. Laura has a breadth of experience working on market issues, including time at the Bonneville Power Administration and public generating pool. Hello, Laura. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me. We hosted a panel earlier today. We sure did. We'll see we if did. it's good enough to go on the uh, podcast. We'll, we'll see. Do you feel good about it? I feel really I good thought about it. was it. great. Okay. Well, thank you for that. I was on I it, of course. The it was. It was very good. Appreciate the affirmation. Thank you. Okay. Joining Tyler and I is Tyler. Joining Laura and I is Tyler Wolford. Uh, hi, Tyler. Hello. Hi, Okay. Good, I didn't write up a bio for you. Okay. So can you give me, in like two sentences, your expertise, your title. I didn't even know your title. Quite frankly, you aren't on LinkedIn. You've got to sum up two decades LinkedIn. in two sentences. Well, yeah. I, good luck. I no have, pressure there, I Tyler. sent him a bio, but it was like three pages long. So Right. And you sent it to decades. an old email address. I got it like an hour before this. I probably could have done something. <laughs> okay. What is your title? Client Services Manager at oh. the Energy Authority. Okay. And can you give like your... your you, the reason you're here on the, the, the discussion on the transition. I've got a long history as an analyst, a project manager, um, and a deliverer of um, new markets. I chaired the change working group for the SPP integrated marketplace. So okay. I was involved from 2010 through its go live in 2014 uh, with that market. Okay. So that is good context. Yeah. You will bring. I will bring new market expertise. 
examples and analogies. Yes, please. That is awesome. Thank you very much. Joining uh, Laura, Tyler, and I is Matt Johnson. Hi, Matt. Hey. How are you today? Awesome. It's a good night to be here, isn't it? It is. I think we're going to get a sunset in a little bit. Okay, yeah, beautiful. Well, no, we won't because we're we're facing the Atlantic. The sun comes up from the ocean. You still get like the cloud bank will be dramatic for a moment, won't it? Uh, we don't well, need to argue about that. That's yeah. not the point of this podcast. <laughs> okay. Matt, can you summarize? <laughs> yeah, for certain. Yeah, your expertise related to this topic. Pacific. Do you have chat GPS by I chance? Do, I, I got it can right we... here. I could do chat GPT real quick. I don't uh, believe GPT, it. GPT, yeah. So I'm not yeah. going to use it. Okay. I'm going to rely on you because I do believe you even though we've just met. All right. Well, so like Tyler, a couple decades in the industry, I've done better part of pushing a, a dozen uh, new market integrations okay. for uh, different folks. Uh, pretty active on the, the stakeholder circuit for a number of years. Uh, MISO, SPP, PJM, um, most recently in SPP, uh, where I was on the market working group. Okay. I also chaired the mitigated offer task force to develop the mitigated offer guidelines or the appendix G in the, the SPP integrated marketplace. So okay. uh, currently we're in the process of uh, integrating uh, one of our, our newest partners in the SPP imbalance market, the, okay. the Weiss market. Uh, oh, so West, on the West Power. side of the interconnect. That's right, yeah, okay. Platte River Power Agency. So oh, yeah. uh, my title is Director of East Power Trading okay. with the Energy Authority, but uh, the service territory is, is that, that eastern ridge of the, the Rockies, uh, east to PJM, south to Florida, and also including the, the ERCOT market. So you've got like Weiss, You've got SPP, mm-hmm. you've got MISO, you've got PJM, you've got SEAM. That's right. Yep. The classic CERC market, the Florida market, which will also be joining SEAM this summer. Okay. So, a little bit of ERCOT in there? Uh, ERCOT. A little sprinkling yeah, of ERCOT. Certain. A little sprinkle of ERCOT. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Do we do it all? Great expertise. Yeah. Laura, did you want to add anything to your bio that I wrote for you? Because I gave them an opportunity to brag about themselves. No, I'll let them do the bragging. Okay. I, I'm, I'm the humble one here. Oh, <laughs> we're in trouble. That's perfect. That's perfect. Okay, so uh, the context for this and the conversation I asked us to have, and I did pressure Laura to invite some people to have this conversation, is that the, the Northwest is evolving into centrally dispatched markets. We're talking about two market offerings in the West, EDAM and SPP's Markets Plus. And, and I think there's a lot to explore um, for what that transi- transition looks like for electric utilities within those footprints. So I want to get wonky on the episode. I want to use examples and analogies to, to talk about how these power supply instruments, how the existing agreements and contracts that are operating within the bilateral market work, what changes you have to make when they go to a centrally dispatched market. So y'all have been part of this. I've read based on your the bios I didn't read, but your explanations <laughs> and Laura's recommendation, like you have some expertise in this. Yep. So uh, are you ready for it? We're ready. We're going we're gonna to start with the load following service, right? Um, it, is, it is like the base service for a lot of distri- distribution utilities across the country, like co-ops and municipalities. So my hypothesis is that a load following contract in a bilateral market translates pretty seamlessly into something like a fixed price full requirements contract in a centrally dispatched market where like a G&T generation transmission provider absorbs all that trading and market risk and the load following customer 
pays the agreed upon fixed price per contract. And to translate that for customers in the Northwest served by load following contracts from Bonneville, I think this means that it's pretty easy and doesn't change much at all. The, the price is still set at a unit rate through the rate proceedings and then Bonneville covers all the risk otherwise. Am I wrong? No, I, I would say that you're pretty right. It's pretty close. Yeah, on okay. point. Paul likes to be told um, he's right. I so. do. I don't know. It's right. I, I noticed that yesterday. Ego. I actually yeah. have a very fragile ego, and it feels good when people tell me yes. that yeah. I'm right. You know? So I'm human. So, so that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it was a well thought <laughs> out and written question. Um, if, if there's an opportunity for an opener, um, you know, I, I think the decision matrix looks pretty similar uh, moving from slice to an organized market. Uh, question being, are you going to go it alone? Or are you going to rely on a provider like Bonneville to provide your full service requirements? Okay. Um, you know, certainly if you go it alone, you're, you're taking more risk. But as we know, you take a little more risk, you have a little more potential upside or, or benefit to that. Um, if you continue to rely on your full service provider, BPA in this example, uh, it's a, definitely a more conservative approach, um, but you know, you're also limiting your upside. Yeah, it's it's it, a lot of distribution utility. That's just that's the relationship they've had. And, and so I, you know, I went to the Bonneville contract. But let's talk a little bit about like in SPP. Like there's a lot of distribution co-ops that had existing relationships with GNT providers. Is this so? Is does this? Are there examples there you can draw on to kind of pull I mean, how that worked? Um, like, like. Just this, like the let's let's do the like basic need here, right? How much does it change for what I get today? How much did it change for those customers you transitioned? So it, it really depends. If if you are one of those full service customers, so uh, for example, we work with folks who are that that full service provider. So for okay. the end use uh, distribution utility, is it really has not changed much at all? It okay. changed quite a bit. For the provider, okay, right, okay. Uh, so they're bidding that load to, in your example, SPP. Uh, they're also going out and they're pursuing hedges. They're building generation. They're operating generators yep. in that market to serve as those hedges yep. for that load requirement that they have assumed. So that's um, the GNTs that have made the move. But that's right. for the for the underlying utility that's doing load service. You're saying it didn't change much at all? Didn't change much at all. Their relationship with the provider hasn't changed much at all. But mm -hmm. I would caveat that, though, that in these markets, the transparency goes way up. Okay. Yep. So, so they see more. You're going to see a heck of a lot more Even in the way of pricing, pricing, where things are settling out. So if there was any question as to what you may have been leaving on the table before, Ooh. it's going to be apparent. And I think that's also an opportunity, right? So I just talked to a gentleman earlier today. Um, they are under a full requirements deal, but they okay. are considering, hey, could I break off on my own, enter the market, either do that on my own, work with a company like the Energy Authority, or there's other great ones out there, um, to kind of go at my own, like Matt said. And, uh, and the answer is yes, you can, right? So those utilities are going to get more transparency. Am I interpreting this right, Laura? They're going to get more transparency, maybe. On price, that's what it sounds like. On price. On price. Right. But their did their contract change? So they had an existing contract. I'll use 
I'll use like NPPD. Maybe that's not the best one. Basin Electric, right, is the G&T. There's, I used to live in Langdon, North Dakota. There's a little uh, Cavalier Electric Cooperative that used to, like, that has their own little cooperative, right? Mm -hmm. um, did their contract change? Yeah, likely not, but they have to be renegotiated too. Okay, right? so, so what those, gets renegotiated those, in those types of things? Those come up, and the, the, probably not a lot. It's probably still either like a capacity and an energy component, like they probably are today. Right. And I'll be the first to admit, I don't know BPA and but, the yeah, Northwest market why, very well, but yeah, that's why we wanted we're to more familiar yeah. Yeah, with like an SPP or a MISO type market. Um, so they may have to renegotiate those contracts, but there's still going to be a fixed price. Like, I'm just going to pay you a price, and like Matt said, you deal with all the issues, all the problems, all the risks. Can you can you talk about the resource adequacy aspect? So when they moved to an organized market and moved to an organized resource adequacy program, did that change? Was that part of the renegotiation? Now that like the amount of capacity that needs to be held out for those loads, or no, the requirement remains with the provider. And, and they just take the example of Basin. That's Basin's responsibility to SPP. So it's it should all be seamless to the, the individual But did Basin companies. restructure how they, how they set their rates based on the, the new, I don't know, new capacity requirements, new... I don't have purview into their contracts. No. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, maybe some of our other customers, customers like, I, I wouldn't know. Probably not, but again, it's a market. There's a lot of dynamics. So mm -hmm. did other things change? Did uh, they make a push towards renewables? Did they retire coal plants? Um, are there higher resource adequacy requirements that they have to meet on behalf of those customers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, all those things are changing and that might force them to charge more than they did before. So the customer might see a difference in their price, but like as far as the details of the contract, I don't know that they're really yeah. changing that much. So I think from my understanding, normally full requirements contracts within these markets tend to be shorter in duration than like a 20 year for requirements <laughs> contract. Is that, is that always the case? Is that just an anecdote I've heard used? Uh, I've heard that they tend to be more like five year for requirements mm -hmm. contracts that get reset. It, is that? I think it depends. That's what I wanted I to hear. I think it depends, right? So we have, we have both aspects. So you've seen like TVA, they're having people sign like what, 50 year agreements, wow. I think I saw. And that's a long time. That is, right? That's a long time. They um, aren't in a market yet. Other, other clients of ours who remain nameless, I know that they've got 20 to 25-year agreements, right. I want to say. Okay. Right? okay. Um, but then we also have others who have kind of taken that model of, of breaking away a little bit like we talked about. And if you go with like a, let's call it like a financial player or, or more of a marketer type, oh. those folks, yes, I would say those, I've typically seen those be like three to five-year agreements. Okay, and then, right. they'll, then they'll have to renegotiate those. And that's actually one of the, one of the risks, right? So you sign a five-year agreement, times are good, <laughs> prices are 30 bucks, maybe you sign a contract for $50 all in. Well, if the market spikes and, and at the time that your contract expires, market prices are, call it 100 bucks on average, you're gonna have to re-up that five-year contract at the $100 price. So you've got contract risk at that point, or term risk, I would say. Right. It, and I would make that distinction. I would really kind of double down on, on the explanation that, that Tyler just gave. So Please do, for the financial, down. the financial players, there's a there's a cheer for that, isn't there? Double down, double down, do it, do it, do it. Let's say that's I like a cheer. it. That's yeah. a great cheer. <laughs> double down, double down, do it, do it, to it. That's right. Let's okay. try that. Wow, right. that's pretty good. That was good. So um, for the financial players, they're managing risk, right? But a lot of times, those folks don't have assets, hard assets. Where right. in contrast, um, you know the the big 
um, aggregators, the, the joint action agencies, those type of folks, typically they're invested with steel in the ground. So they have hard assets that, that they're able to leverage over the course of those longer periods, the, the 10, 20, 25 years, where in contrast, uh, a lot of that's being done on a spreadsheet by just the financial players, the, the banks and the marketers. So, th so I think that's a big driver behind the, the distinction in the terms. Yeah, yeah, so this is a good distinction on how you transfer, because in the bilateral markets today, most of this type of service, the full requirements contract, are done by G&Ts mm -hmm. who have the, the actual assets. Mm -hmm. So those contracts, if you have one today, is likely with an asset owner who probably wants a longer duration so they can recover their costs That's right, for, exactly. for that type of service. Um, we're gonna talk later about the, the new entrants uh, that come from these mm -hmm. like market, like uh, financial, what do you call them, the financial? Financial, financial players. players. Financial players, okay. But before we do, you didn't mention you probably have to renegotiate your contract. What types of terms? If you have one that's a 20 year, 50 year, okay, let's say you're a TVA customer and TVA is gonna join a market. So they've got this 50 year agreement. Do you say, what terms would need to be renegotiated? Or could yeah, it just no? I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I think we're saying that those, those folks wouldn't have to. They, okay. would, they wouldn't have to. So for the full requirements contracts from a G&T, you probably don't need to renegotiate it, but is it beneficial for the purchaser? Are there elements in there that you would want to? Go, Laura. Well, I was just gonna ask, because what you were saying, Tyler, made me wonder, have there been situations where someone was full requirements, they get into a market, there's a lot more price transparency, and they're like, you know, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of want to see what I could do on my own. Absolutely, that has happened. All right. So that's that's okay. kind of where you're gonna go later, but maybe you want to go now. Is yeah, you've got these new entrants, and so you're the you're the big incumbent provider. You're the TVA. Poor TVA, we're picking on them today, but you know it's better than picking on picking on Bonneville because people at Bonneville actually listen to this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> so it's better. It's okay. better actually. Let's do but, it. But you know, TVA's got a price, whatever their price is. I don't know, but yeah, if you if you go into an organized market now, all of a sudden you've got a few other players. Let's say Matt owns one of these financial shops we're talking about, and Matt comes in and says, "Wait, you're paying how much? You're paying pick a number, hundred dollars megawatt hour." Let's, oh, let's just say can, 30 or 40, that'd be nicer. Okay, it'd be nicer, 30 or 40, and Matt can come in and say, well, I can offer that at 28. Or, uh, or just even wholesale rates. I'll bring you to market at wholesale mm. plus some sort of adder that's my fee for the service, right? Which can look pretty appealing. And Man, we, we know folks attack, that though. have experienced that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and they were brought to the wholesale market, uh, but if they're not hedged adequately, when things run away from you, it can be pretty scary. And uh, it, it's cost some folks pretty considerably to the point where they have reconsidered full requirements contracts. So when we say go it alone, there, there's a pretty wide array yeah, of wide possibilities array. Yep. of going it alone. Uh, a lot of times it makes sense to go it alone with a partner, you know, somebody to help shepherd you through some of these things, at least until you get good at it. Yep. I think we had an analogy we were talking about, right? It's like personal investing. Right, it's like full requirements is like an annuity, right? I can just put all my money into an annuity, I'm gonna get six, seven percent. That's an okay rate, right? But you're paying that provider a lot to take on all that risk and guarantee you something. Yep. Right. And then on the other side, what Matt was just talking about, you go it alone. 
and you don't have any hedging, you don't know what you're doing, that's kind of like picking one stock, putting all your nest egg into it and then hoping it goes well. Could mm -hmm. go great. But if that stock goes to zero, your nest egg just went to zero, right? Yep. And so, and then there's everything in between there, right? And, okay. and I think that's, you know, that's where we try to help people is find out where they belong within there and, and put in the hedging programs they need. Okay. There's one other element to the load following as it transitions that I wanted to check with the experts on. So does settlements change? So if I am a load serving entity, the, my, my, the person who provides me my full rent requirements contracts and the BAM and moves to a centrally dispatched market, do, does the load settle with the market operator or does it remain settling with like the G&T for the provider of a full requirements contract? So I think this, this question kind of introduces a little different nuance to what maybe folks have done historically. Historically, okay. you just had that relationship with your provider yep. and their provider was ultimately responsible for the market. Um, the, the credit implications have the, the potential to change in an organized market. Okay. So in contrast to just having credit arrangements with, with your provider and maybe with counterparties as we do today, you're adding this new element that is the organized market that you also have to have credit with. Okay. A lot of the organized markets accept member guarantees from public power. So it's, it's essentially a cheaper approach to having credit with the, the RTO or the organized market. So if you're in a situation like that, I would strongly consider folks to leverage that member guarantee because otherwise, if the, the full requirements provider is offering that credit on your behalf with the RTO, you have to assume if they're doing their, their homework right, and costing up your contract, that that comes at a cost. Okay. Right. So in that case, you, you may want to structure an arrangement where you're using your credit as a, a public power entity, even though it's it's a full service provider that that is is serving you. Um, you would provide the credit as essentially an asset owner, and the provider would serve as your agent on your behalf with the RTO. So it, it could help you from a credit perspective to offer your own credit with the RTO via your member guarantee in contrast to, to having the provider do it. If that's not an option for you, if the provider doesn't, or the RTO does not accept a member guarantee, then most likely the provider is going to register you as a separate asset owner under their market participant. Okay. And they're going to interact directly with the RTO on your behalf. Okay. So if you're gonna use this member guarantee, that probably means that you're gonna get a bill from the market operator because you're the, the person that they're crediting against? It really depends on how you're Can structuring you it. it. Can I uh, negotiate that into my four currency and to be like, I don't I'm the credit, but you can get the bill? Yeah, I think you could. That's right, yeah. you serve as agent. Yeah. Okay. The bill would just come to the provider. There's okay. different flavors of that in the West that are being discussed. And again, I'm not uh, an expert in everything going on in the West, but you know, BPA with all of these customers may decide that, like Matt said, they want to register all these individual entities as asset owners, as, as it's called in MISO or SPP. Um, and they may want to do some type of cost sharing. Uh, and they put those, they kind of take those settlements from a wholesale level at the BPA level and kind of split them down on a, maybe a load ratio share or whatever okay. share. 
uh, down to all those entities. Um, but that's kind of to be determined. It's kind of how BPA chooses to do it mm-hmm. or uh, how the customers clamor. Like, what, what are they clamoring for? Like, if all the customers want to be more involved and they want to have that interface with the market, I guess, that they might ask for that, I guess. I think part, kind of, part of the, like, I think part of what we need to do in the Northwest, maybe, Laura, maybe I'm wrong about this, is to, like, figure out what are, like, the bounds of possibility because, like, it's like, I don't know, could we just let Bonneville do this? And it's like, well, that, if that's possible and it's not too costly, that's probably good. And part of the discovery is like, what are the bounds of the possible? What are the bounds of the possible? And then what, are, what am I trading off? Yeah, what am I trading off? like, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, because it may not end up being the best thing for my, for my utility. Exactly right. Well, and I think... Yeah, I think that's an important thing. There's, you know, BPA slice customers, from my understanding of it, you have a lot of optionality, right? Like that's, it's a battery. There's tons of ramp capability. Like that slice of system is is really valuable. And we typically tell folks, right, the more optionality you can give the market, the more value you're going to extract from it. So yes, could I allow BPA to do it for everybody? Sure. How many customers does BPA have? I mean, hundred and. 50 something. So are, are they going to do the absolute best job, and no offense to BPA out there, right, but are they going to do the absolute best job for all 150 based on all 150's goals, or are some of those entities better off saying, I'll take some control of that, I'll make some decisions myself, and I'll optimize my slice of system myself? Um, that's, a great, that's a great transition, because I did want to try to find an analogy to something like the slice project or this slice product, um, and what's happened in other transitions. So you gave me a nice softball to transition to the next topic. That's really elegant of you. <laughs> um, so we in the Northwest, and you mentioned this, so we frequently market our hydro resources as like a slice of system contract, where the offtake of the slice of system pays a fixed price contract to access the capability of that resource and then takes over like the marketing responsibility and corresponding economic risk. In many ways, this is my hypothesis, it's a lot like a power tolling agreement for like a natural gas facility, right? That's a classic tolling agreement Mm -hmm. where basically you have uh, an operator that just wants to operate and sells the marketing aspect and bills for the cost of that resource. Um, so it's a lot like, I think, a tolling agreement. There's like this nuance where most tolling agreements are on like a natural gas or a coal facility, so they're all marginal cost bidding structures. And a hydro resource is like an opportunity cost-based bidding resource. So there's like a complication there. We're gonna ignore the complication, and I just want your guys' insights around tolling agreements within these other markets. So if an entity had a tolling agreement in a bilateral with somebody, how did that translate into a centrally dispatched market? Do you have examples? How did that work? Who, who's got insight? I think you led a lot of the, the contract renegotiation. Um, um, I don't know if you want to well, yeah, speak to that. So I, I guess foremost, um, there, there is a lot of this happening, right? So. Um, the, the Southwest Power Administration is, is uh, 
operating adjacent to SPP, also to MISO. These things are happening today. Uh, WAPA is a member of MISO, okay. uh, so it's happening there. Um, I guess before talking about, it, it's a great question because it's probably gonna affect a whole lot of folks. Um, maybe a, before even talking about the, the technicalities of that, just a, a, a pro tip would be that a lot of these contracts, in my experience, have, have been written before most of the folks who are, are currently managing these contracts could spell RTO. Yep. Okay, so yep. you probably don't wanna reopen those contracts. Uh, there's probably a lot of hair on that that, that you just don't wanna deal with. So okay. um, it, it does reopen to a degree, um, more so the scheduling element of it. So, okay. you know, I'd call it more of like a, a scheduling agreement or an addendum to the contract that, that is this scheduling agreement. Okay. Uh, that way you, you can really focus on what's different today in contrast to how you did things in the past or, or what the original spirit of the contract was. Okay. Uh, so you're gonna negotiate that piece without renegotiating or reopening the entire contract. I'm picking uh, up where you're putting down. I like it. Okay. Keep going. Go. Yeah, good. Um, so that, that's the piece I think you're probably speaking to, Tyler, with respect to what you're going to renegotiate. So you're going to want to get back together with, with your counterparty. Um, and, you know, a lot of it's really going to come down to, I, I think, uh, your means, you know, meaning whether you intend to actively manage this tolling agreement or you prefer to, to have someone else do it. Okay. Uh, as well as how the market's structured. So there, there are a number of layers to this, but um, depending on how, whichever market in the West you end up participating in, if the market is structured such that they offer a, a joint own unit option, okay, then you may have the ability to offer your unit to the market on your own behalf to include all market products, energy, ancillaries, if, if that's what your contract allows for, the market will dispatch each individual off-taker's share okay. individually, aggregate them, and then send that dispatch signal to the plant. Okay. And this, you called, what's this instrument? Does like SPP have this? SP, MISO. SP, MISO does. SPP had it. Now SPP has a little different version of it. It's okay. A, it's which I can also speak to, uh, but in this case, it, it allows you as the individual to really control your your whole offer strategy. Okay. Right. So you would use this on like a natural gas plant where you would want if you had your own, if you had a share where you could offer your own big curves. That's right. You could use because let's say you had your own natural gas. Yeah. So purchase. Matt. I can understand that for natural gas, but talk about a resource like hydro and what should be considered there for hydro. Right. It, it's a little bit more straightforward, I think, for, for hydro. Um, for hydro? It's more straightforward for hydro? I, I, that's I the first I, I time I've ever heard of anything that. like that. <laughs> you're also asking the Eastern Interconnect well, non-hydro guys. Right. <laughs> so there's hydro optimization, which is, is not as straightforward. Okay. Right? Okay. But I'm saying just the, the offer approach. So, you know, with the thermals, you're going you're gonna to be uh, deriving startup, uh, no load, energy and... offers. So you, you've got to calculate all those things. Okay. Uh, so that piece requires a little bit more, but the broader optimization strategy uh, certainly is different when you're optimizing hydro. 
Um, so there so, could be elements that are actually simpler because you don't have your no load and your... That's right. Okay, okay. So I think what's interesting there, though, is uh, this is kind of a question, I don't know, maybe for you two, is I think BPA is the expert um, and some of the BPA clients are the expert on optimizing that hydro, right. right? Whereas what Matt's talking about is like an SPP or a MISO or, or another RTO. The RTO is the one running the optimization engine. And I guess mm. my question to you guys mm. is, is SPP or Kaiso, whoever wins the Battle of the West, are they going to have the hydro optimization model themselves? And is that going to be better than mm. what BPA or Seattle has themselves? So no. I, I, no. <laughs> No. So Absolutely then that would kind not. of answer my question then. I, I, I don't, I don't, so as you, like, hey, I don't I think that would be acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> this is my podcast. No, but I don't, I don't so think cool. that would be acceptable to hydro owners in the West. I think they, there's a lot that goes into the optimization of hydro. So, and, and there's con the control aspect. And so yeah. I know when we've worked on things in the KISO with like even figuring out a, a hydro default energy bid, we very much did not want the KISO to tell Hydro what the default energy bid would be if Hydro units got mitigated, that okay. there was all of this, these other things that went into it that needed to be within the control of the, the Hydro owners. So I think, so I think, I think they're like two different things too, right? The, I mean, the SPP, they're optimizing dispatch for this time period, right? Whereas a Hydro optimization is like this long duration. That's right. Uh, like opportunity cost optimization over long term, and they're just different things. And I, so we would still want SPP to like optimize dispatch so, for this, like within our big curve for yes, this hour. Yes, there's a. I think even in the Kaiso, they talked about like daily energy limits, and so because it's right. energy, you, it's energy limited, limited. Energy, yeah. energy limited yeah. that there would be an aspect of the market operator then deciding what the most valuable hours are to to hold back hydro and, and dispatch it during the most valuable hours. Yep. So there is that. So I think there's some nuance there. And that, there's some I think nuance. that's around what Matt's talking about. But, yeah. But to get to like the heart of the question, there's an instrument for jointly owned units that's, that's right. called? Um, it was called pseudo tie or a pseudo JOU, oh. pseudo JOU unit. Okay, pseudo JOU, joint owned asset. Owned asset, okay, that was okay. in? MISO. You that said there's something MISO different. MISO and, and SPP. SPP had it. Now SPP has evolved to just a combined JOU option. Okay. So instead of there being multiple uh, off-takers submitting their own separate pseudo JOU offers that are aggregated, like the first example, yep. in this case you have one generator operator that's going to offer the entire resource but you communicate to the RTO collectively what your pro rata share mm -hmm. of the unit is. The market dispatches the unit, they commit, they dispatch the unit, they settle the unit. Okay. But instead of sending all of the, the proceeds of the settlement just to the plant operator, they allocate it on a pro rata share. Mm. And the nice okay. thing about that is you get your money quicker, right? So it becomes a cash flow thing, right? Um, and a credit thing. A credit thing, absolutely, a credit thing and a cash flow thing. Yep. So, uh, it, again, it kind of speaks to some of these new sensitivities, just things that you need to be thinking about that, that maybe weren't as big of a concern in, in prior markets. And I kind of wanted to go back, if you don't mind, Paul, to something Matt said about the contracts, and maybe he's underselling a little bit what, what he and a lot of our partners, also got to give credit to our, to our utility clients, but 
when you were going into these RTO markets, you were really negotiating flexibility, mm-hmm. right? So like Matt said, you, you didn't envision an RTO. You didn't envision a day ahead in a real-time market. Right. So the more flexibility you can go in and negotiate under that, that kind of opening of the contract that Matt talked about, the better. So if you can get optionality and can I strike it day ahead or real time? How late can I strike it? How many times can I strike it, right? Every type of optionality gives you more value, right? If I tell you, you got to tell me three days ahead of time if you want your energy from X unit, or if I tell you, you can call me six times a day, which one's more valuable? Six times a day is what I'm going to guess. The there you go, is. buddy. Man, pass the <laughs> test. Yes, you're a smart guy. Pass the test. <laughs> Holy cow, I feel really good about myself right now. But a lot of really that is driven, thank you for making that clarification, a lot of that is driven by the, the contract itself, right? In, in the interpretation of that underlying contract. So is this a, a slice, a pro rata share of every service from that particular asset? Or is this an energy only type arrangement where all I'm entitled as an off taker, I'm only entitled to energy, I don't get the value of the dispatch, I don't get the ancillary services. In that case, to Tyler's point, it looks much more akin to a long call option for the, the person with the tolling agreement, right? Okay. Um, so now I'm striking. There has to be you know, different times, strikes, you know, strike times, the volumes that you can strike, uh, all of those things, the, the communication protocols associated with those strikes that, that all have to be negotiated and then structured if that, is, in fact, is the, the arrangement that, that the initial contract, the underlying contract, has provided. And I think we heard earlier today, like there's the, the markets are creating new products to deal with, with the new attributes that have come along with the, the new renewables, right? And so again, going back to if there's going to be new products and I have a slice of system, if, if I get an entire slice of that system and there's some new product we don't even know about right now, as a, as a customer of BPA, I would want all those attributes and I would want to be able to optimize them to the best of my ability. Um, and I wouldn't want to just get stuck with just energy, mm-hmm. right? I would want all of the current and future products. So in the West, we're, for products, we're talking about energy and then flexible, whether that's uncertainty, ramp, but some kind of flexible day-ahead capacity, real-time capacity, and the clean attributes, because we're also talking about Good point. GHG and the carbon price. And then, and then whatever happens in the future, right? So that's what's being considered right now, but who, who knows what the future is going to hold, right? Right, right. And sorry, services, inertia, start. Yeah. Got to count for inertia. We need voltage stability. Got to count stability. for inertia. That's right. All right, so we, we went to like the easiest, the easiest element of this, is, which is like a load following full requirements and how that works. Went to probably one of the more complicated things, which is like a jointly owned unit with a tolling agreement and how that could work. Sounds like there are existing instruments that may have some ability to translate. Um, can we talk a little bit about these like utilities that, that have existing like investments into assets, like power assets that like have been there a long time, but they still have some other fo- fo- uh, partial requirements contract with for the balance for actual the load following service, mm-hmm. right? So we have, um, I have like the wind farm or a, a local like peaker plan or something within my service territory, but then I acquire from some G&T the full requirements to balance it out, let's say. Like, can you talk a little bit about how that works because it seems like that's just going to be way easier. That's my hypothesis. 
dealing with those types of things is just going to be way easier in the market because you're going to be able to clear your local resource and then the four requirements will be a much more transparent product to buy. Is it just going to be easier? I think it's easier. The answer I, I do think be. it's easier. Yeah. Yes, you're right. I know I, you like to hear that. Okay. Um, <laughs> now we got to have to you, cut some of those out at this point. It's <laughs> too much? Okay, okay. I'll pull it back. I'll pull it back. I think you're right, but again, it's back to the, the value or what, what you're giving up to get that easy. So yeah, okay. you can push the easy button, um, but you're, you're giving something up yep. for that. Yep. Right? So, And we have customers like that. We've had customers like that, and, and you're right. In that situation, you might own, let's say, half of your load in some, you know, coal or hydro or gas units, and those can be entered into the market. They can be cleared in the market. Um, they can be settled in the market, and then you've got the other 50% of your load. And what am I going to do with that? I could go it alone in the wholesale market and just let the market fill me. I've obviously got to have capacity to, to resource adequacy, but I could let the market fill it, and maybe that'll turn out real nicely for me for quite a while but I also have a lot of risk with that. Or, and, and we talked about this earlier, there are other uh, financial players and there's physical asset players that will do the partial requirements. So they'll okay. fill that last 50% for you and they'll give you a fixed price for that. Or I've even seen some contracts where they'll fill it, but they won't, they won't, they'll, they'll put a limit to their upside. Okay. Um, right, so it's like you're capped on your upside, but during an extreme event, you might still have a little exposure, so they'll share a little bit of the risk. Okay. And I will be the first to admit I'm not an expert in that. I know some people that are, uh, but I'm not. Uh, so You don't have to be an expert in everything, Tyler, to add Thank value you. to this podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> yes, you're adding value. I'm just waiting for those people I know to watch this and say... Yeah, no, you got that way wrong. Yeah, don't so, worry, nobody watches it. Yeah. So, so, so let's for a customer that already takes uh, like a load following service on top as a partial requirements customer, right? So you have some, you have some resource, but you're acquiring load following service um, from some GNT for whatever the balance is under a bilateral agreement. Mm -hmm. It gets easier when it's all in the market. So I think what I heard. But how? what else changes? Like, what, what should you be sensitive to if you already have this load-following contract in the transition? Like, what should you be sensitive to about how, how it gets easier and where to look for value inefficiencies? Yeah. So make it maybe one distinction. I, I, I think, not to put words in your mouth there, Tyler, but I, I think you were saying that it, it gets easier if you have a load following contract yes. in contrast to serving your own needs in, in the market. Right. So what, what I feel like could also be a good value to folks is that say a good majority of your load is under some sort of contracted rate of delivery. So a full service requirement. Okay. And a, a portion of your load is, is then exposed to the market. Uh, your provider is probably going to register the majority of your load Okay. You know, say it's a couple hundred megawatts. All of that's handled. You've, you've hit the easy button on that piece. Okay. But then you're responsible, because it's a partial requirements contract, for the, the remaining amount of your load above that contracted rate of delivery. Okay. So it, it's, it could be an opportunity for folks to, to inch into this new market without okay. taking as much risk as bringing everything initially, is, is that they can defer that risk to the provider for the contractor rated delivery, the majority of their, their load to full service requirements. But then they can begin to learn or partner with someone to help them learn how to operate in the market with a smaller portion of their load that, that is otherwise exposed to the market via the partial service requirement. 
And if you're the, let's say, GNT that has, is providing this load following service to a partial requirements customers, what's your sensitivity to the transition? Like, because it is really complicated under these contracts in the bilateral market because the load following provider wants control over this generator's behavior so that they can minimize their own load following risk, right? That's what you want in a bilateral. If, there's a, if your customer's bringing a resource, you need to do a bunch of contracting and rate making to make sure that resource gets applied. In a market, like how does that change for that GNT? Is there anything obvious there or should we move on because there's too much there to unpack in, in the next 15 minutes? That gets a little complicated and maybe a little outside my zone. I mean, what, what I can come up, comment on is even for those resources you own, you still have to hedge those resources, right? right. So uh, coal plants, right? I've still got to manage my fuel supply or gas, right? Like even though I have a unit, I'm still exposed to natural gas price risk. So just because I have a unit doesn't mean <laughs> that I can just kind of set it and forget it, mail it in. Um, and so we, we work on that with folks as well. So um, managing your, your fuel risk is a big one. And operational risk is another, yep. right? So if that unit doesn't run, typically those contracts, like you said, they're trying to manage their risk. They're not going to be okay with you losing half of your generation, and they're just going to say, oh, I'll cover it, especially if losing half your generation is during a winter storm, a summer yep. heat wave, where there's high extreme prices, right? Yep. Um, so there's still risks that need to be managed, even yep. though you're kind of clicking this easy button. And I, I kind of like the way Matt put it. Maybe you can step in a little um, to it. But anyway, I just want to point that out. Yep. What am I missing, Laura, on a question here? I, I think you got it covered. I feel like I'm trying to ask follow-up, but these guys are just hitting all the points. So it's good. Okay. Good stuff. Well, and I think the key takeaway, Paul, like we, we probably can move on because I think, um, you know, we've talked a lot about, I think, kind of the smaller players and the people that are under full and partial requirements, and those are easier. Uh, right. They just are. Um, and I'm not saying it's easy, but it's easier. But maybe some of the discussion can be around people like city or Seattle, I'm sorry, uh, where you work. Um, you're a big entity, right? And so you have more complexity. You probably also have more staff, more models, more software, more ability to optimize things. And I think that's where markets provide more opportunity. They also provide more complexity and more things you need to worry about. Um, whereas if I'm a you know, 30 meg load and Eastern Washington, and I don't want to deal with all this. Maybe I'm somebody that manages my water system, my sewage system, and my power system. I don't want to deal with RTOs and congestion rights, right? right. I just want to pay somebody a flat, flat rate and be done with it. Yep. So, yeah, there, there is um, like the participation in the market is, I think, a, like a how that all works is probably, I think, easier to understand, quite frankly, because that's not really a transition thing. That's a how does it work thing. Right, so I think the load following service, partial requirement service, there's a lot more complication around the transition, but for somebody who's just gonna be a participant with their loads and their resources, it's just like, how does it work? It's not, how does the transition work? That makes sense? That's right. And for, for like a Seattle that has like joint, who has a product with flexibility, um, like how, that's, that's really, to me, the really interesting thing of how that could work in a transition. Not so much that, I mean, the generation's just like, how is the generator going to work? How does load bidding going to work? Yeah, um, that's fair. Uh, but, but there is, there is something here to, to unpack a little bit, which is like, what new products 
will be available. And, and are there are there changes to the existing contracts that need to address new products, new services, new ways to new ways your load will interact with the market? Um, what are, are there new instruments outside of like a partial requirements, outside of a load following service, outside of a jointly owned unit unit yes. are there new instruments that we should think about that are that you you develop some creativity or develop some new way to mitigate risk because you're an essentially dispatch market can you talk a little bit about that kind of stuff that's available i could probably kick off one um maybe you got others but i think congestion is a is a huge one and okay. that's that's unsettled um, I'll probably, again, speak a little bit more to the RTO side of things, and I know that's not right where everybody's going in the West right now. No, but it's still maybe, good to talk about. Maybe they're getting there, but you are still talking about it. I've talked with Laura, who's much closer to it, and they're, they're thinking of constructs. But I would say congestion analysis and understanding that position and what hedges you have is a huge deal. It is a huge deal, and it's, it's greatly underappreciated, I think, until you get into the market. And until you start getting some experience and you see the, the magnitude of dollars. Um, and typically where you see congestion the worst is where you've got, if you've got remote located resources, right? So I've got yep. wind farms in, I think in Eastern Washington, right? Is typically, no? Yeah, Solar. no, I'm, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got, you know, you've got long run transmission getting to your load. Um, those things get congested, right? And when yep. they get congested, the prices go down there. Your prices don't go down into your load and you are exposed essentially. Right, those those generators are supposed to serve as a hedge. What did we learn today from? Is it Mike Gearing? Yep. Um, Mike where he talked about basis risk is, and he used some. It's like there's a term he used for basic basis risk. Basis mm -hmm. risk is. Oh come on! Somebody help me out. Somebody text I don't Mike what and he, be like, yeah, yeah. "You weren't Where's even. My phone? <laughs> you didn't listen. I was listening." And he had this term because it's the same thing, right? Basis risk is. Uh, it's like the wrong, always the wrong direction. That makes sense. And congestion is like basis in that way, right? Congestion is basis, the most but part, on yeah. the electrical congestion system. usually isn't like working in your favor. Usually, right? Like either you're paying more for your load than you want to, or you're not getting as much energy for your generator as you want to. Usually, it's not like, man, this congestion is great. Yeah, we're we're killing it today on the congestion, right? Like that's usually not something that somebody says. So you're right. Yeah, and I it, think with congestion, you know, that that's a whole other side of like wholesale power markets that at least traditionally, like I, I went through bilateral, two imbalance markets, two RTOs. So did Matt. Um, in the in the bilateral markets, we weren't like congestion. It's like somebody else tells me that this path is congested and this tag is getting cut. Yeah. Right, I don't have to know about that. But when you get to these markets where you've got all of this all this price history, all of this five minute data coming in, you're seeing the congestion and it's impacting how I want to trade. It's impacting my financial position. Yep. Um, they're they're traded on different timelines. That's another thing that's difficult. Oh, really? Right. So like, and again, I'm speaking more RTO, right? Well, uh, yeah. I, I don't yeah. know what's going to end up with you know Markets Plus or EDAM, but you know your your uh, congestion auction is actually done a month a month ahead of time, right? Or so, a year ahead of time. Well, yes. I'm sorry. There's annual auctions and right. there's monthly auctions. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, have that blow your mind. Try to think about what your portfolio is going to look like, how your generation is going to run a year from now. Clear that entire auction and then go through all the monthlies, do the same. And then you've got to go into the day ahead in the real time. So you've got all these different time frames, you've got different products, and you've got to, you've got to know how those all work together. And that's a, it's, 
It's so difficult. It's not, it's not that dissimilar to what we're talking about for Markets Plus or EDAM. It's just that we're keeping physical rights and not translating those to financial rights, but the congestion rent will be allocated based on those physical rights, at least in SPP Markets Plus. So that's the construct that they're talking about is they'll take everyone's firm, talking about whether or not to include conditional firm, physical rights, and then allocate the congestion rent that way. In EDAM, what they're talking about is a little bit different where if there's congestion rent collected by the market operator, that'll be allocated back out to the balancing authority, mm. for example, Pacific Core. So that chunk of money would go to Pacific Core and they're a bit of the middleman. Kaiso is not dealing with it directly with transmission customers, but then Pacific Core will have to figure out how to allocate that down to transmission customers within their balancing authority. Okay. I think that makes sense. I mean, I, I think the struggle, not to get too wonky on RTOs, but like if you don't have counterflows, which is uh, congestion that's not benefiting me financially, you can't award all of the all the congestion that you want to award. So I'm right. kind of curious uh, how I'm kind of curious how they're going to allocate these congestion rents that you just said. Yeah, they're not doing. It's just whatever positive revenue that's coming in, like there, there's a difference between options and obligations, right? right. And yeah. so there's no, let me see if I get this right, no obligations, just options. Okay, so you can only win. Correct, you can only win. No losers in Markets Plus. Which I've got to think there's there's something there I'm missing and then I don't know, but I don't think you're going to recover all of your congestion costs. I don't know how you can if you, Well, my understanding, my understanding is you have a numerator, which is the bucket of money that the market operator collects and then the denominator that you distribute that out to is all the different rights. And so the more, the more people you distribute that out to, the, the less everybody gets. There's just this bucket of money that's... So I think in that, ex in that example, right, let's say you, you own a path that's super highly congested and you own one that's just a little bit. And if you're just taking a whole bucket of money and splitting it out to everybody like load ratio share based on well it's based on shift factors be. and all of that okay. on the system topology but yeah we're getting a little little deep and pretty wonky honestly, but yeah so these are really out so, of my zone uh, so. well i'll kind of this will back be worked to, out in in the markets plus it's it's a little bit like natural gas basis and the lesson i learned today from the conference is you always want to hedge your your basis absolutely always hedge your basis so absolutely. you should always hedge your congestion and I'm going to have to do that with congestion revenue, right? CRRs, something. I don't know what they're There'll be an instrument. There'll be an instrument mm -hmm. in an RTO. And in Markets Plus, Laura is going to solve this problem for us so that I can make sure I can hedge that risk. Is that right, Laura? We'll see. <laughs> We're trying uh, to figure it out. In, in like the last couple minutes, are there any other new products that you all want to highlight that are interesting new instruments that can be beneficial for managing risk? Anything you want to? So I would add that um, for your internal bilateral transactions, okay. uh, you'll likely end up with some sort of financial schedule. So meaning that uh, you'll, you will have negotiated, say, a fixed price between uh, yourself and a counterparty. Uh, that fixed price will index against the LMP at yep. the associated delivery point. Okay. So uh, in contrast, a lot of times within an RTO, you, you don't have physical e-tags inside of the RTO intra system. And so th the way those things transition from the traditional physical e-tag 
is to this FinSCED. Okay, what's a FinSCED? The financial schedule. Okay. So uh, the nomenclature is, it can be different across the RTOs, but by and large, the concept is the same. It's not an Oasis tag. I'm not doing this in right. Odie or whatever. It's, uh, it's just a, it's a instrument that acknowledges our transaction. That's right. Okay. And, and, and so uh, at the generator, uh, on the other hand of that financial schedule, yep. is being paid for their production yep. right at the LMP. And you say, as the load who's purchasing from that generator, you're buying your load at your load zone. Okay. And so, in essence, what the RTO does, the RTO intends to remain revenue neutral yep. throughout all this. I mean, you're probably going to pay some sort of admin fee for their help in doing this. But in essence, what they do is they take some of the profit from the generator and they pay it to the load based on this financial schedule. And, and that's what... And, that and what do they call this the, in SPP? A bilateral settlement schedule. The BSS. A BSS. The BSS. That's why I said they're that? all going to be different, right? Bilateral settlement schedule. Yeah. Okay. A little different nomenclature, the but the concept schedule. is really similar. BSS. BS schedule. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Not okay. sure what they're called in CAISO. Um, I think it's like... I, ITC, I want to say, or I, I, ITS. ITS. Yeah. And so the bilateral settlement schedule is a way to effectively transfer shares of, like, transfer financial obligations. That's right. Yeah, yeah it's okay. important. Okay. And that is different. So is it different from a contract for differences? Not Explain sure that, that a little more. Well, the contract for differences. For differences. So my understanding of the contract for differences is we agree on this price and then basically anything that's, that gets awarded above that price to the generator gets transferred to the load. So the, like, it's a little bit different because the, the RTO doesn't get involved in the bilateral right. side of this. Right. So if I buy 50 megawatts from you for $10, okay, okay. I'm going to pay you $500, and that's predicated on our credit arrangement outside the market. Okay, so a BSS is like the financials are outside the market. Like the, I have an existing agreement with the generator that I, I, I pay a bill monthly for this right. But right. the BSS is just a transfer of funds, a, fi, a, a financial Essentially, like, award. the locational marginal price at the delivery point multiplied by the megawatt volume associated from it. You really have two transactions. You have the one outside the market, which is yep. okay. Matt's company in credit with York's company in credit. That that exists, yep. and that goes from your checking account to theirs. Okay. And outside then the market. Outside, outside the market, the nothing. Yep. I don't even know about it. And then yep. there's the other one that's inside the market that they do know about, and it's just a difference in price, basically, that's right. between two notes. So it's the net of those two that's the net of your position. So it's as if you've Basically, you're treating that generator as if it is for that LM, for that load. That, I think so. That's a in good essence. Yeah, that's a good interpretation. Okay. So, in essence, it it allows you because if you think about it, say you're the load. Yep. You're purchasing a, a megawatt volume at LMP. Okay. When you buy a FinSCED, a financial schedule from this generator, you're going to be getting a credit for essentially the same volume times LMP. Okay. And so your LMP risk, notwithstanding basis risk. Congestion. Congestion basis. basis, Notwithstanding basis, essentially you net out 
that LNP risk because okay. LNP can fluctuate all over the place. But this is indirectly is how you financially engineer that that traditional physical bilateral. I buy a fixed price from a generator right. or um, any other market participant, and I I'm selling to my load at a fixed price. Okay, so this is the way you get there. So we're gonna go down a rabbit hole. I didn't script, and we gotta end this really soon, so we don't have much time. So if like there's this product we call Block under the block product that we acquire from Bonneville. It's a fixed volume contract that's paid for at cost to Bonneville, right? So you could use this BSS. I'll still get a bill from Bonneville for my block cost. I'll pay them the however many million dollars for this fixed schedule through the month. That's right. And then it's as if that block is mine. Right. And it's, it insulates me from any of the LMP risk because I have a generator in the market and my load is in the market, so it'll That's mitigate right. any of that risk except for my basis risk, which I always need to hedge. Good job. With transmission, generally, is how fair. I headed today. Yeah. Okay. Um, there are some other rabbit holes I want to go down, but we don't have time for it. Is there anything else, Laura, you wanted to talk about that would be helpful or insightful to, to talk about? Well, this may be a whole, we may not have time for this, but. Um wondering about the slice product in particular and slice being somewhat of a virtual representation of EPA's system today. Um, can, can virtual, how do virtuals play in? Can they be part of the- So much so, to talk about. So much to talk about. So. I, had a, I had an hour long conversation with Kevin Galke last night about this topic. He thinks um, there's settlement issues with that. He, he yeah, we, I, think, I think there's a lot to dig into there. Yeah. Which maybe we can do this again. Part two. Part two. I was gonna say that's part two. That's a that's a complex. Whew. Maybe we can get uh, well amongst other products, really. And, and I think yeah. we we also want if we do this again, I think we want to take some time to to really talk about, you know, how the the overall nature of the business portfolio management has changed. You yeah. still at the end of the day, you still have assets, right? You have load, you have generation, you have supply contracts. Um, how how do you start with all of that? Right, your, your long-range planning, your IRPs, all these things, and then translate all of that into even hourly or sub-hourly interaction in these organized markets. Okay, and, and there's a lot to it, and that's where you start getting into you know these more obscure products like like virtual supply and virtual demand, which a lot of folks I, I think it makes them a little nervous. I mean, it's it's a really foreign, it's it's a wonky concept, right? Um, but there are some very practical applications to using these instruments, uh, even if, if, you know, outside of speculation or anything like that, just to aid in your settlement if you're a market participant serving load in these markets. Okay. I have, like, part of what I wanted to talk about was just, like, the, the, the building blocks of a conversation to start at. Some of the stuff actually won't be that complicated. It sounds like a load following con contract and bilateral, it may not even need to change in any real material way. It's a, it can be very similar to how it works today. Ho hopefully it just ends up at a lower cost because you're more economically dispatching your resources and the load is met more economically. Like well, hopefully that's the outcome. Although maybe some consideration of off ramps from load following if you want to be able to. Yeah. Because you're going to have more visibility, have and there are going to be new players. We never got to that topic, but there will be these other market participants, the financial players that maybe you know you're interested in getting. It sounds like a partial requirements contract, um, 
there may be more considerations for the GNT that actually maybe the GNT thinks it's easier to manage a partial requirements contract within a centrally dispatched wholesale market because all of that papering mm-hmm. around what's your resource going to do so they know with certainty their obligation, maybe you can relieve some of that risk off the GNT. Um, but then there's new, it's new participation for the load following customer that has some partial requirements. So there's something there. It sounds like for, uh, we'll, just, we'll just say, there seem to be analogs to how something like a jointly owned unit within how that's transitioned with that SPP for, with like a tolling agreement. It seems like there are market instruments within a centrally dispatch market to deal with that. But we need to have another conversation to talk about like the spectrum of where the, like how, how many options do we have along the way um, mm. to figure out what's an efficient product. That's my summary of the conversation. We did it in about an hour, which I feel good about. You feel good about it? I feel great. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else you wanted to chat about, Laura, before we go? Uh, Well, I just want to make sure to clarify that we acknowledge Slice is not a jointly owned. Correct. That's a great, that's a great disclaimer. So just don't want anyone to get the impression that Slice customers somehow think they're own part of BPA's assets. So yes. so there are there are nuances and maybe we'll yeah, cut this and we'll put it really early before we talk about that. It is an acknowledgement that it is not a jointly owned unit. It is very different from a tolling structure. It's mainly just the insight that there could be instruments that mimic the relationship. Does that feel like a decent disclaimer? I think so. Okay. Okay. Well that's all we're covering on this episode. We'll do another one. Wonderful job, by, wonderful job by all of you. Thank you, Laura, for being a participant. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank, Thank you, you for Tyler. having us. It was yeah. wonderful to have you. I hope you see, feel seen, heard, valued, and appreciated, um, because I really do appreciate all of you, and I appreciate you doing this, even Thank on camera, you. Tyler. Appreciate you. Yep. <laughs> Public Power Underground is a production of News Data in Seattle City Light. You don't have to be subscribed to News Data to get this podcast, but it sure makes the podcast make a lot more sense. Public Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground, it's work to watch. Yes, roll on. We bring in some people way smarter than us. Those in the industry with knowledge to trust. We know we aren't perfect. Sometimes it's a Public Power Underground is a production of Klatskin IPUD and News Data. The views expressed are her own and not the official views of Klatskin IPUD and News Data or the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Public Power Underground is electric utility and electric utility adjacent news from a power department's perspective. It's written by Paul Dockery, Dan Ketchpole, and Abigail Sawyer, and it's edited and published by the Stellar team at Pioneer Utility Resources. Our theme song, Roll on Enthusiasts, was rewritten, performed, and recorded by Aaron Gillery and Ian Bledsoe. That's all for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Into the laughter through thick and through thin for public power enthusiasts without and